Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Oh, gee. Make some noise! How you doing, everyone? I'm Ross Salzberg, and I want you all to listen up and get a load of this. Joining me today, Brooklyn's own Mark Tatum, Deputy Commissioner of the NBA, to talk finals and what else? All things NBA. Like I said, you're really going to want to get a load of this. All right. Without further ado, as I said, Brooklyn's very own Mark Tatum, Deputy Commissioner of the NBA. Mark, thanks for joining me. And uh, I got to start off with, I got a little bit of a bone to pick with you because I looked at your very impressive resume. And and we're talking Cornell and Harvard Business School and Major League Baseball and Clorox and Pepsi-Cola. Where the hell is Brooklyn Tech? Because I didn't see Brooklyn Tech Googled. I mean, I saw it in some other stuff. Now, full disclosure, folks, I am an alum uh, of the prestigious Brooklyn Tech, as is Mark Tatum, but I didn't see Brooklyn Tech. I am a, Russ, first of all, it's a pleasure for me to be here. Thank and I you. am a proud Brooklyn Tech alum. Anyone who's met me, anyone who knows me, knows how proud I am to have gone to Brooklyn Technical High School. It is on my LinkedIn page, though. So That's where I saw it. Believe me, I, I was, I was going to give this guy a hard time, but I did see it on the LinkedIn page. And not just Brooklyn Tech, but also a proud member, If I'm correct me if I'm wrong, the 1987 City Championship baseball team. That's right. We won the PSAL uh, New York City Championships back in 1987. I was a freshman on that team. So we had very, very good baseball teams. I was a four-year uh, baseball player at Brooklyn Tech started as a freshman, and we won. You know that that was the highlight of my career playing at Yankee Stadium and winning the well, city championship. We actually beat uh, John Adams uh, in that game, and then we ended up uh, losing to Archbishop Malloy. So the public school champion played the Catholic school champion, right. and we end up losing to Archbishop Malloy. But we won the the public school championship. It, it, trust me, folks. We'll speak plenty of NBA here with Deputy Commissioner Mark Tatum. <laughs> but I mean, Brooklyn's in the house. That's you, you know right. what I'm saying? And now I'm from the projects in Sheepshead Bay. Yep. Where, you're East fr- Flatbush. East I grew Flatbush? up in East Flatbush, New York Avenue. My mom and dad still live in the same house I grew up in. What was the, what was your what, what would have been your neighborhood's what was your neighborhood high oh, school? Um, Erasmus Hall High oh, School. Oh boy. <laughs> 
<laughs> exactly. Talk about the hood. It was pretty tough. <laughs> That's right. So I'm very, very, very happy that I, I had the opportunity to go to Brooklyn Tech. Yeah, no, it was a great place. Well, first off, uh, if we're talking NBA and you got game three tomorrow night, so let me just ask you, talk about how would you assess, uh, are you happy with the first two games of the NBA Finals? Couldn't be happier. The, the series has been amazing. We had incredible momentum coming into the finals. We had both teams face seven-game conference finals games um, to win on the road. Um, That hadn't been done in 30 years or so. Um, And then this finals is a historic matchup. This is the first time in any North American professional sport that the same two teams have matched up in the finals competition for four straight years. And so what we're seeing here is just greatness. And when you think about the players who are competing in this game, not only are they some of the greatest players to ever play the game, they're also some of the most popular. So Steph Curry leads all players in jersey sales. LeBron is number two, and Kevin Durant is number three. Yeah, so, 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 so business is good, which is which is your <laughs> end of uh, you're keeping up your end of the deal in terms of what you need to take care of in the league. I, I thought Game Two went, uh, you know. The, the Warriors just displayed, you know, when they can't miss, they can't miss. And and early on, you know, the Cavs were keeping it close, but the the the, the Warriors not only did they not miss, but then they were getting help from uh, uh, Livingston and and uh, Jeruel. I, I mean, it was like yep. nobody was missing. Right, right. Javale McGee, right. Javale exactly. McGee, excuse yeah. me. No, no, I, it, it's true. I mean, when that team is clicking, that team is really, really good and. Um, but by the way, the Cavaliers are really, really good too. I mean, they came within a free throw away well, of stealing a game on the road, and so a lot of people would say. And I, you know, I'm sure you and Commissioner Adam Silver were questioned on that. A lot of people felt the ref was impulsive. Uh, you know, that whole restricted area and bit. How do you respond to that when that happens? Yeah, no, we we went back and we looked at it, and the referees absolutely made the right call there. So we have a rule in our league that says um, that referees can use instant replay in the last two minutes, where they can go back and look at a play, and they can determine when there's contact between a block or a charge. Um, if there's a uh, if, if if there's some question as to whether or not that player is in the restricted lane, you had one referee behind the play, you had one referee in front of the play. They both had different views of what happened, and so they did the right thing and they went to replay to determine if um, LeBron James' feet were outside of the restricted area. Um, they determined that it was, but then they have the ability to evaluate whether the call is right, whether it's a block or a charge. And so it was a correct application of the rule, um, and they got that call right. So let me understand this, because maybe I'm misunderstanding it. I I thought they could only go to the video at at that juncture of the game, uh, when I say the video, the the replay, replay, Yes. If um, it had to do with being in the restricted area, if it was just a cold call on a charge, they couldn't. Am, am I correct? Correct. Okay. So they were going to to look at whether or not LeBron was in the restricted area or not. Now, once they once they have that trigger and they have the ability to go look at the replay, then they can evaluate and look at the call and see if it was in fact a charge or a block. And so that's where they made that decision that it, it was in fact a block as opposed to a charge. 
When, when you have these teams in, you know, you're talking about superstars. They they are, I mean, LeBron is, I put something on Facebook the other day. It was unbelievable. Uh, you know, sometimes when you're putting something on, you wonder how people are going to respond. It doesn't have to be sports. It could be, you know, in the climate today, racial, this and that. And I know how people are going to respond. It was about who was the best. You know, I said, people are talking about LeBron. Is it this guy? Is it Michael? And I said, do me a favor. I said, if you're going to have who's the best, please don't leave Will Chamberlain out of the conversation. Not only did he average 50 points and 27 rebounds one year, but the following year he followed it up with 45. <laughs> you don't know the uproar that I had. I mean, of all things I've ever put out, people were responding. So, I mean, but when you have these type of stars and and – I thought it was kind of silly, including when I see media, some of my colleagues complaining about same old boring story, the same guys, and talking about the Cavs as if they had no shot because, let me tell you, I, I think they're up against it now, but if they get that first game, the world changes. Absolutely. And and by the way, you know they've been down 2-0, they've been down 3-1 in a finals before and have come back to win it. So, um, you know, the, the, a lot of people say a series doesn't start till one team wins a game on their on on the road, right? Well, and uh, and so we're going back to Cleveland. Um, you know, a lot of things can happen, and uh, in this series, and 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 uh, you know, it's, we'll see what happens when the game plays tomorrow night and Friday night. We saw that in the semifinals. We've seen that in other series before that. Teams can play one way on the road. The Boston Celtics were a great example. They were a great home team, um, but had some problems on the road. And so um, we'll see. I mean, I think you know these teams are so familiar with each other. The players are so great on both teams. Um, and what I think is really fun to watch is just the intensity of the competition. No, I, I, LeBron has done things. You know, I, I don't want to take anything away from from Steph Curry and, and Durant and. I'll tell you who's, to me, I call him an assassin on that team, is uh, Clay, Clay Thompson. <laughs> it's Everybody forgets about him, and just when, everybody, for lack of a better term, when everybody's relaxing or sitting on their ass, all of a sudden, boom, That's boom, right. like one after the other. That's and, right. You know, you know. Draymond can, you know, if, if you're not play on his team, you hate him, but but, but he's <laughs> he fired, a player. He fires his guys up. He, he fires he, his yeah, guys he, up. He, he, he certainly does. What's got to fire you up is, are the ratings. I mean, I was seeing 21 million for the first two nights Huge. in this country. Yes. But then I saw something else that really knocked me over. 50 million people in China? Absolutely. That's how many people we reached in China. Um, those numbers are just incredible, right? More people... Um, had access and watched the games in China than they did here in the United States. And so um, we're the number one sport in China. 300 million people play the game of basketball in China. We are the number one sport over there. And and it's amazing to see. And that's at 10 o'clock in the morning, 11 o'clock right. in the morning, we're seeing those kinds of numbers. Well, you've been, in the, now you've been in the league, and you really are the man. I'm not blowing smoke at you, but you're the man in charge of the business. That's right. And, and NBA China launched, I believe it was 10 years ago, 10, 11 years ago. Correct. Was that your doing, or I was involved in oh, that? You're, I mean, you're we've, involved. Yes, yes. We've 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 been in China for much longer than that. Our first um, game in broadcast in China on CCTV five, which is their over the air network, there was over thirty years ago. Right, and so we've been g- distributing games over to China for more than thirty years. But we created 
a special NBA China entity about 10 years ago. Right. And we've seen our business just take off incredibly in that period of time. Well, I, I mean, I was kind of like, I felt like a, a moron because when I, you know, I was doing my homework on, on this. And I think most people stateside don't know a whole lot about what goes on in China. Like to me, Stefan uh, Marbury went to China, like who gives a rat's patootie. <laughs> and then I'm saying to myself, when I'm reading this, it all makes sense. They built uh, they built a statue, statue for Stefan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But also Brooklyn boy, Lincoln High that's School. That's right. That's right. Uh, I'm also say my uh, wife's alma mater. But I'm reading like NBA China is worth like four billion dollars. That's right. The latest independent valuation that, was over four billion dollars, and so. Um, it, it, again, it's just an incredible uh, testament to the game. Uh, you know, Dr. James Naismith uh, sent the game and exported the game all over the world more than 100 years ago. And one of the first places that he took it was to China. And so the Chinese view basketball as their sport. It's inherent to them. They were in the very first um, when the first year that basketball was in the Olympics. They fielded a team in Berlin. Uh, and so they they love, there's a professional league over there that Yao Ming is now the commissioner of. Um, and so there is a long history of Chinese playing basketball and loving the game of basketball. I think it was in 2015, I don't know, if, correct me if, again if I'm wrong, uh, there was a five-year deal signed. You guys, like a $700 million deal to carry NBA. NBA what was yes, it? I forget NBA, the name. Tencent. Tencent. Yeah. Correct. Right. Correct. So. To carry NBA games and, and other content. I mean, I'm thinking $700 million. This is not stateside again this oh yeah no and people and don't realize that that's correct there's a, again there's a huge business over there because china has 1.3 billion people 300 million of them play the game of basketball and they have an insatiable appetite for consuming basketball so tencent which is the equivalent of kind of google amazon facebook in china they take our games and they make available to their fans about 600 games free to their fans, and that's where tens of millions of fans will go to watch on their mobile phones NBA games in the morning, whether it's on their commute, whether it's at work. Um, and so they're making that up through advertising, but they, they pay us a rights fee for the right to air those games. And then for this year, for the first time, we launched a NBA League Pass with Tencent, which is a paid product which gives fans access to every NBA game. So it's a subscription product that's offered between us and Tencent, and we've seen incredible take-up on that as well. You ought to, uh, you know, work out some kind of tourism deal for Americans to go over there because <laughs> yes. if they're American basketball fans, they're not going to be without their sport if they go at the right time of the year. But I, I had no idea. I, l listen, if you're an American and, and you kind of call it provincial, whatever, you're thinking it revolves around us. Right. Uh, you know, but... Yes. It's almost, you kind of wonder, it's as big or bigger in China than it is here. Oh, it is. It is, with, without a doubt. Again, there's more there's three more people play basketball in China than almost than there are in the United States of America. Yeah. So when you think about just the size and scope of the market, um, yes, there, there are more, and again, more people watch the finals and had access to the finals in China than they did here in the U.S. Now, not just China. And, and the reason I'm talking so much about this with you, because I know you're involved, mm -hmm. you're the business the, the, guy. The, the, right, yeah. specifically the international. International. Yeah. And, and international as well. Uh, 
talk to me about some of the other places where it's huge. Sure. So, and, and again, if we if you think about the league, twenty five percent now over a hundred players who play in our league were born outside the United States. So this truly is it's an, changed. It, yeah. it has changed tremendously. And when you think about the impact players, I mean, these are players who are all stars, right? Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons from Australia, um, Giannis Antetokounmpo, the Greek freak. I stop. I want to stop you right there because I was I was going to bring him up. Yes, he not only is he a superstar player, and you know, I've haven't had the pleasure of dealing with him. Mm-hmm. Um, he comes across to me, and I've seen some interviews as, and I'll, I'll use the term, and I don't throw it lightly, as almost a superstar kid. Yes. He seems bright, articulate, nice. It seems like he's had a good upbringing, and that always helps. When you have a guy like him, how important is that for the whole, for you, for the international to sell it because you're showing this is the product? I mean, to me, sky's the limit for this kid. Oh, without a doubt. He is huge. And, you know, he's from uh, Greece, but he's also of African descent. And Nigeria. So, exactly. He's Nigerian. And so um, when you see a player like this, as talented and as skilled as he is, um, he attracts a whole new audience internationally. It doesn't matter if you're from <clears throat> Greece or Nigeria or Europe. Uh, you're following this guy. And people in the United States are following him. Christophs Porzingis, I would think, also... Let's move forward and assume he becomes healthy again and everything is fine. It's important for you, when I say you, Deputy Commissioner Tatum, who's in charge of international, to help sell this, not just here, but help sell it more internationally because you're showing that these guys can come here and be superstars, correct? Absolutely, that's right. And, you know, one of the things, again, like I said, we're seeing an influx of high-impact international players. And one of the things that the NBA promises is if you have game, it doesn't matter where you're from, you can play in our league. And whether you're from Latvia and you're 7'2 and you can shoot, or whether you're from Australia and you're you know, a 6'10 point guard, um, you have a place in this game. And I think that's what fans want to see. We One of the things that... Um, I'm very focused on, we're focused on as a league, too, is creating development opportunities in different markets like China and like India, Mexico. Um, these are all places where we've established Africa in, in Senegal. India? You, you said <clears throat> India? India? That's right. So we have a NBA academy. We have seven of these academies now. And think of it as we go into a particular country or a particular region, and we bring in the best players in that region, ages, call it 14 through 17. And we give them access to coaches, trainers who have former NBA experience, who knows what it takes to become an NBA player. And so we're putting them in that environment and we're putting them in situations where they're competing against the other best players in that country. And then we have those academies compete against each other. We have them compete against um, uh, professional teams and college teams to give them better competitive environments to develop and to grow as players. And so we just started this now a year and a half ago, and we're seeing talent come out of these places like India, like China, um, like Senegal, uh, Australia, and Mexico City, and these will be where future NBA players come from. Well, Obviously, you know, this is all big business. You know, you can sell it internationally, and it's a lot of money, and God bless you guys for doing that. But was there foresight 
I don't want to give you more credit <laughs> yet, but 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 was there foresight not just from you and you know I'd say not just Adam but his predecessor David Stern to think we have to tap where else in the world we can get talent from to make sure that our league continues to grow talent wise. Without a doubt, without a doubt. Again, we've always been a welcoming league. You know, you go back to the days of uh, Hakeem Olajuwon and Arvidas Sabonis, and um, the, the, our league was always welcoming and didn't matter where you were from. It's about talent. If you had game, you could play in our league. And I think we sent that message out to the world, um, and I think the players responded to that. You, you also you, you were touching on something with, with, the, with the academies. This summer, you're having what is it? The NBA Junior is it NBA Correct. Junior Junior, and junior NBA World Championships in in Orlando. It's in Disney World in Orlando. I, explain that because <laughs> see that's another thing that I I knew nothing about. Yes, I, yes. I knew nothing about. So for the very first time, so one of the things that we um, really started investing in over the last uh, five years or so is our junior NBA programs, and what that is 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 really kind of youth fourteen and under. And going in and getting kids, boys and girls, to play basketball in these organized leagues with coaches who have um, certification, who are taught the right ways in coaching kids how to play the game the right way. And we've been doing that not just here in the United States, but internationally. And so in something like you know 50-plus countries, we have these junior NBA leagues where these kids are competing in 30-team leagues. Um, against each other, and there's a regular season, there's a playoff, and then they get championship rings like like anyone else would. So this year, like our NBA champions would. So this year, for the first time, we've actually now created a world championship for all those kids who play in those junior NBA leagues around the world. And we'll have a team from China. We'll have a team from India. We'll have a team from the continent of Africa. We'll we'll have seven international teams, um, you know, coming into. Uh, in, into the U.S., and then we will have uh, uh, a champion who represents the United States who will then compete in this Junior NBA World Championship. And so there are all these different regional competitions that are taking place here in the U.S. and around the world. And it's think, think of it like the you know like little, the little, little league. league World Series, <laughs> exactly. You know, interne- uh, the international side exactly. and the U.S. side. And you play each other. That's right. Who foots the bill on this? Oh, we do. We do. God bless. Yeah, and and actually, Fox Sports is is uh, broadcasting it. Um, and then um, we have sponsors who are who are part of it, but uh, it's a global program, and there's a tremendous amount of interest in it. How is the coaching? You know, you're talking about play. Uh, China, we understand because it's been doing it for a while, and you know some of the other countries we know, Latvia, mm-hmm. you know, Spain, France, France, Spain, yeah, India. Like how is not? I don't <laughs> yes. mean not to be demeaning, oh, it's but it, it's you got to start someplace. But how is the um, how is the coaching level there? So what we've been doing in India is um, we have been bringing in coaches who have NBA experience, and we've been doing training the trainer sessions. We work with the national team, we work with school systems, and we go in and we teach these um, phys ed teachers and other uh, coaches how to teach the game. Based and again, we 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 send NBA. Uh, former assistant coaches and college coaches over there to teach. So we're training the trainer, and we're running those kinds of programs in a place like India. So it's a, it's a long-term proposition. You know, one of the things, as I mentioned before, we've been in China for 30 years, and the way that you become the number one sport in a particular country is you're at it for a long time. So we have no illusions that this is going to take two or three or four years. 
But we think that India, which will be the most populous country in the world, they're going to actually outpace China here in the, in the next several years. They, they, they will become a more populous country than China in the next five to ten years. Um, in a place like that, we can take a long-term view and hope that 30 years from now, basketball will be the number one or number two sport in that country. Oh, well, I have to tell you, j- just as I'm learning about all this, you know, outside of the United States and I, – I, you know, everybody talks about baseball, the great American pastime, and w- we get it. And I, I certainly grew up with that, and you, you did as well. <laughs> but I'm thinking, you know, always outside of the United States, it's always soccer. It's yes. always been soccer. But now I'm starting to wonder if mm-hmm. basketball, I, I wouldn't say it's completely taken over, but it's it's given soccer a real run for the money worldwide. Yeah, no doubt. There are two global sports. There's soccer and there's basketball that, that are truly played all over the world and in, in all parts of the world and all regions of the world. Um, what I would say is that one of the, the ways that we think about it is um, when you think about global basketball, uh, you think about the NBA. And when you think about soccer, there's a lot of different players and brands, and there's the EPL, there's La Liga, there's Barcelona, there's Man City, Man United, the FIFA, UEFA, champion, you know, MLS, Red Bull. So there's a lot of different brands in that space. But when you think about global basketball, there's, there's one brand, it's yeah, the NBA. NBA. So, so I think that's one of the things that we continue to, um, to focus on. And, and even in soccer, you know, the best players in the world don't play in one league. They play in leagues all over the world. Um, one of the reasons I think the World Cup, which is coming up, of soccer is so uh, valuable and important is because that's kind of the one time when the best players in the world are all playing at one time. That happens once every four years. Um, and that they're playing for their national teams. But every night in the NBA, the best players in the world play. Every single night. It doesn't matter where you're from. And so um, so I think that's a, that's a real huge benefit that we have to our league in terms of growing the game globally let me come back stateside we've been going over talking about over and you know around the world the g league yes the the, the g league you, you know it's not what it was not what uh, we're talking 26 teams correct we'll have 27 next year 27 next year mm-hmm. and uh, you know the numbers this is according to the 2013 and 14 season. 33% of NBA players had spent some time. Now it's up to about 50%. 50%. Half the players in our league have spent time in the G League. G, G stands for Gatorade, by the right, way. Right. I know it was. Yes. The better, I know, listen, they're, they're now the big sponsor, so it's the G That's League. That's right. We, 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 that. we all recognize that D was a bad name. You know, us Brooklyn Tech alums, like a, we knew that a D was not, not very good, right? So, so G and you know, I guess if you know, I haven't choose to sponsor, it'll be the R League, exactly, whatever. But you're just telling me fifty percent, fifty percent of players in the NBA have G League experience. So last year, for the first time, what we did now is create these things called two way contracts for NBA teams, and every single NBA team has the ability to offer a player what we call a two way contract. So it's primarily um, a contract that primarily the player plays for their G League team, but then they're able to play a certain number of games and days for their NBA franchise. So it's really become now a true development league because teams have the ability to take a player, put them under contract, and then put them in their system. Out of the 27 teams that will take place uh, that will compete in the G League next year, they're all one-to-one single affiliated. There's three teams 
that are in the process of identifying where their G League teams are going to play. Um, and so it's only a matter of you know a year or two from now when we'll have 30 teams, 30 G League teams, all singly associated with their NBA team. The, okay. Correct. Because n- now some teams are affiliated with more than one team? Well, well so right, right, now, right, right now, right now, those three teams that don't have their own, they will assign so, players okay. to, to someone else's G League team, but all those other 27 have a single affiliation. So it, it, explain to me how this con- a contract works. For argument's sake, I'm, I'm a number two uh, second-round draft pick, mm-hmm. and I'm going to the Knicks. Yep. And, um, you know, they say, Russ, you got to go play in the G League. Yep. Um, what do I, how do I get paid, for example? Let's talk around number, like, I mean, the Knicks are signing me for $100,000. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. So they would offer you a, they would offer you a, um, a, a two-way contract, okay? And then you would, you play most of your days in the G League under that agreement. Um, and there are, you know, different scales of that agreement, but, but a, a two-way player can make, you know, a, a couple of hundred thousand dollars, depending on when they get called up. When they get called up, they get a prorated salary at the NBA minimum okay. based on how many days they're playing in uh, the NBA. Now, now uh, from what I understand, and I don't know if I'm correct on this, that some players, uh, there is one, uh, well, I, at least one, and his name escapes me, that chose to go right into Darius the- Baisley? Yes. Yes, exactly. He he was committed to Syracuse and he um uh, decommitted from Syracuse and uh has made himself available now to go right into the G League. So so the way that works is he will be then eligible for the G League draft. Uh Utah just happens to have the number 1 pick this year in the G League draft and if they so choose they could select this high school graduate um, and high school student uh, who would have gone to Syracuse, they they could select. They haven't said that they will. Right. Um, he may fall further down, but any then G League team would be able to uh, draft him. Now, uh, you, you're talking about, f- from at least for the time being, the minimum age to go into the NBA is 19 years Correct. old. Correct. That's our, our rule now. Is that... The rule. What's the rule for the G League? Nope. Eight, there is no rule there is no for the rule G for League. The G you, League. Could, you could come in at eighteen. So, if you're playing in the G League at eighteen and you're doing really well, they can't call you up. Correct. That's right. right? right. That's correct. Because so th- there's some things that have to be some flies in the ointment, if you will, or things that need to be worked out. Yeah. No. Right. Right. You you have to be nineteen and one year removed from your high school class in order to um, to get to get drafted into the NBA. So, um, Adarius Baisley, for example, would he could go play in China? He could go play anywhere. He doesn't have to go play at Syracuse or college. He's just chosen to play here in the G League, um, but he still would not be eligible to be drafted by an NBA team until he turned uh, 19 and was one year removed from college. And, and, you know, listen, I remember it was the CBA. Now, the CBA was a little different because you had some veteran guys in that league. And quite frankly, one of the first things I ever did in this business was some play-by-play for for the Toronto Tornadoes. (laughs) And, And that's a true story. You know who owned the Toronto Tornadoes? I bet you don't even know. I don't. Um. Ted Stepien, who oh, was the original yeah. owner, and you want to talk about a wackadoo, <laughs> the original owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers. And um, I remember, you know, the coaches, and I'm talking about one, Phil Jackson, the coaches would drive the bus 
And, and, and I remember talking with Phil, uh, doing an interview with him, and uh, here he was, the kind of tattered sport jacket. Times changed <laughs> in a hurry, boy. They sure did. But And I remember asking him, why this? Why not college? Because this was certainly not glamorous. And he said, because you know, I want to be involved in the pros. But the CBA, and it was rough. I mean, mm-hmm. and there was some talent there. Listen, from the Knicks, guys like uh, Anthony Mason and John Stock. Mm-hmm. John Stock came from, came from, from yep. that league. Mm-hmm. But the G League is more developmental because you're not going to be a veteran playing in the G League. Well, you know, some of our teams now have looked at it in different ways. Oh, really? I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, like Tony Parker did a a, a rehab assignment. Well, that's a okay. down in the G League. Right. So, so yeah, no, I think I think um, uh, it is developmental and it is to get players ready for the NBA. Clearly. It is a fantastic path to the NBA, given that half of our players have spent time there. Um, and I think that it's evolving. I think that um, it is it is certainly for developmental purposes, but it's also for rehab purposes. And it will be for anybody who wants to play in our league to get into great competition. I mean, the, the, the games now are so competitive um, because these are NBA players who are playing in that G League. And... You know, I, I would say it's probably right now the second best basketball league in the world behind the NBA in terms of pure talent. That good. That good. That's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I broached this with the gentleman who's joined joined you from uh, communications, John Acunto, talking about John Calipari, mm-hmm. and you know he had a meeting with the NBA's Players Association, and he wants a combine for high school juniors, and he wants agents to be allowed to work with high schoolers, and I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm being square. I'm not, yeah. uh, I'm, this is my opinion. It, it seems a little, for lack of a better term, disingenuous, because he's, fa- he's the one and done guy. Now, I know you're playing by the rules, but he's the one and done guy, and, and you know, then he wants... The combine, for example, it would include a hundred juniors, and out of the hundred, you'd get fifteen to twelve of the best to say, "Okay, you can try into the NBA." The other guys, you say, you should go to school. But he also wants the NBA to, if you're going to have these kids in this kind of situation, uh, to be responsible to giving them an education if it doesn't work out. And I, I just think that's putting a lot on the shoulders of the NBA. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know you guys, you know, listen, you're in the business of promoting basketball. I mean, it's not that you want a lughead, but you, you like kids to have their education, but not everybody does. I, I just, you tell me about the feasibility of, of a combine, and because I don't think it's such a kosher idea. Right. And, and I haven't studied Coach Cal's proposal or, or his idea. What I will tell you that we're focused on is we do think that there's an opportunity for us and the NCAA to be much more closely involved in the development of these kids, both on the court and off the court, at an earlier age. Traditionally, we have stayed out of that youth basketball space, and there's been a void there. And I think it's time now for a trusted voice like the NBA and, and, and the NCAA to go in and interact with these kids whose aspirations and talent who match their aspirations to become an NBA player, um, you know, that's generally known, right? I mean, if you go back and you look at the top 100 players in high school, uh, very rarely does, it, it happens, but very rarely do you get someone kind of out of that top 100 
who end up making the NBA. It, it happens, but 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 it's pretty predictable. A hundred percent, pretty predictable. Um, and right now, we don't interact with them until they're drafted and they're, they're they come into our league um, through USA Basketball, which. Um, is an organization that puts together national teams. They actually interact with these kids already. They start in high school. They put together U17 teams, U16 teams, U18, U19 teams. So they they are actually dealing with these kids, but they really only get them together once or twice a year. Um, And in that, they get access to the best coaches. So NBA and NCAA coaches are involved, and, and the best high school coaches are involved in those programs. We think there's an opportunity there with these top kids in our country, um, basketball players in our country, to spend a lot more time with them on their basketball development, making sure they're getting the right skill development that they need, but then also on character development, life skills, leadership, you know, respect for the game. Like Those are all things that are so critical and so important and, and things that we're focused on. So we're currently right now working with USA Basketball and the NCAA on what that kind of curriculum could look like for that class of player. You know, you talk about that, and it's not just the NBA. I find all professional leagues, and I would say in particular, uh, well, I'll say all, all the leagues, and, and I don't think it's, it's fair on all of them. Uh, obviously, and now I'm just talking with you about the NBA you know, people say, well, what about the character of these young men and, and why don't they teach them anything or with their money and, and blah, blah, blah. And, and, you know, that's all fine and dandy to say that. But I've been around athletes for a long time. I also know this. As you were a Sandlot baseball player, mm-hmm. the best kids from the time they were in Little League or Pee Wee basketball from knee high to a grasshopper, they were told how great they are. Yep. They grow up being told how great they are. Mm-hmm. They get the special treatment. They get the prettiest girl. I'm, I'm serious when, <laughs> I, when, when I say that. And they're told, and a lot of the parents, you know, sometimes view it as a meal ticket. And, you know, you hear Charles Barkley, you know, said, I had to grow up. And, you know, I, had to, I tried to teach these kids, you don't need five cars. You don't need, and, and that shouldn't be all on the leagues, but... It becomes, that's the reality of it. Yeah, no, and, and again, I think having that earlier interaction with um, with those future NBA players is just going to be important so that we establish that relationship so that we can kind of prepare them for what they're about to encounter um, and uh, and that they you know that we have that relationship with them, that open relationship with them. And so I would tell you, I, I mean, I think our players today are fantastic role models. They have, you know, players like... Steph Curry and LeBron James and Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson and James Harden. I mean, the players in Antetokounmpo, we talked about how great, how modest of a guy he is. A Kristaps Porzingis, how he's really um, been become loved in New York. Um, this young generation of player is truly, truly amazing. I mean, I think we're seeing an influx of talent into our league like we've never seen before in players who not only... Um, are great on the court, but who are also doing things in their communities and handling themselves well off the court as well. You mentioned LeBron James. I'm, I'm going to get into that because he's going to. We're going to get into that in a little bit because um, I understand he's on the cover of uh, two um, two K two K nineteen. That's right. Two K NBA nineteen. I've done my homework, but yes. I, I want to get onto this. You know, talk a little bit more about the one and done, and I. I it, it sounds like 
Commissioner Adam Silver is open to let's discuss this. We are, we are, and and that has to be collectively bargained. Right. And you know, it, it it is. It's a balance. And and again, I, it, a, a lot of it ties back to what I was saying before on the youth development, where it's really not necessarily about do they come in at eighteen or nineteen. It really is. Um, how do we engage them even younger than that? So that whenever they come into our league, whether it's 18 or 19, they're better prepared to be NBA basketball players and NBA professionals. So yeah. I, 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 my whole bone of contention is I, I think the NBA, and I'm not saying it just because you're sitting here, I think the NBA gets a bum deal on that. And, and I also, for example, I think the NFL gets a bum deal on, on that because I say, what were the college coaches doing? Were they watching out for these kids? And, you know, let them rest in peace. Chuck Daly used to tell me all the time. He's one of the finest coaches in any sport that I've ever had the pleasure of dealing with. And he said, he said, Russ, in the NBA, the players allow you to coach them. Mm-hmm. The players are the stars. And, and the coaches... No matter what kind of success, and he was a pretty listen. You're talking about the, <laughs> Hall the, the of bad Fame boys, coach, Hall absolutely. of Fame, Dream Team, mm-hmm. uh, but in college it's different. College, the coaches are the stars, and and when when college coaches say, and I'm not asking you to get into it because I, I form my own opinion on that. When all these transactions or uh, infractions, I should say, happen, nobody knows nothing, and you know. What are you doing to watch the kids then? Don't get, for lack of a better term, pissed off at the at the pro level when this started way at a younger level. Yeah, and, and you know um, Condoleezza Rice, the NCAA, put together a uh, Condoleezza Rice yes. commission yes. to study this issue and to evaluate what was going on in college basketball. And you know, one of the recommendations is that they suggested that um, you know that these one-and-done kids uh, should not be playing in college. And so, uh, you know, when they kind of make that statement that, in essence, we don't want these kids here, we have to respond in some way, shape, or form to that. And so, um, you know, we, 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 we do look at the development of those kids uh, who are in college for a year, and the thing that we have to assess and that we weigh is are we better off putting them in an NBA system earlier and giving them access to the resources that we have to develop that player in that year? Or are they better off you know, doing that in college if ultimately what they're going to do is end up playing in our league? So, um, so that, that's, you know, that's kind of the assessment that we're making. And obviously all of this is subject to discussions with the Players Association, which we're engaged with. We also have a labor relations committee. That's that. Well, that's that. You just opened up the 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 garage door for me because <laughs> Adam Silver recently said something about you know people were complaining about you know the same teams and he said well if you want to think about you know uh, more parity um, you know think about maybe a hard cap and um, that certainly is would something that that would have to be you know heavily negotiated with the players association do you think a hard cap would ever come to the nba well i, I don't want to speculate on that again there there's uh, lots of different models that we'd have to look at uh, we have still several more years left on our uh, cba agreement and uh, and again there's there's been no proposals back and forth on that um, certainly uh, that's one of those things that has always been discussed but um, uh, nothing imminent uh, and on the road. Uh, no, nothing imminent right now on that. Okay, uh, gambling. Yes. Uh, legalized sports uh, betting. And 
I'll give you my take, and then you tell me what what you think. Mm -hmm. Uh, I get it. I understand it. It, It's part of society. It's part of the thing. I worry about, in particular, the NBA and the uh, NFL, because I think, and I don't know this, I haven't done an investigation with bookies, I think they're the most bet. Upon sports, Cert, right? Yes, certainly the NFL, and then and basketball is one of the the, the you know the top. Two. So, so yeah. before we get into the money that can be made, because um, I have some questions about that for you, such as the integrity fee and that. But my concern is for the NBA that, regardless, I mean, if you're doing everything right, and it's not just the NBA; it's the NFL, it's MLB, it's it's NHL. You open yourself up. To like criticism and, and 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 just bad criticism, and is it worth the aggravation? I, I, here's how I would look at it, Russ. You know, right now you're assuming that, um, and, and you actually just said it, so you're not assuming. You're you just said it's one of the most bet sports. But it is NFL is NBA, NCAA, college football. So it's happening. NCAA. I mean, the, the office pools. People people don't know what the difference between a basketball and a watermelon. Exactly. But they're betting on, on you know an NCAA. Exactly. So so that's that's the point, which is it's happening now today in the tunes to the tune of hundreds of billions of dollars that are being bet on sports today. The problem is it's all underground, and so if you're a sports property or if you're a league and you're trying to figure out. Um, you know, trying. There's no data. There's no good data on where the money's going. Who, mm-hmm. what, you know, because in a, in in our view is that we can't bury our heads in the sands and pretend like it's not happening. It's happening. Right. We'd be better off if it were all above ground. If it was if it was in the sunlight. If we knew where money was moving, because we would be able to better monitor it, and we'd be able to say, well, wait a minute, something doesn't seem right here. Um, on this particular game, because um, based on what we know, uh, money shouldn't be really flowing in that way, and then we can start investigating it. And you know, as we because we're a global sport, we have had the benefit and opportunity of seeing how it operates in soccer in places like the UK, where you can walk into any um, soccer stadium in the UK and bet right there on your cell phone right. on an app. Um, and and what they tell us, our friends at the EPL tell us, is that. They do. They, they they have to invest a ton of money in the enforcement but in, in the analysis of the data, and, and they look at that. But the game becomes, um, the integrity of the game actually becomes easier to monitor because you now have a free market of money that is, where you can see where it goes. My, my only, that, that all makes sense. I, I, I get everything you say. And I'm not just saying this about, uh, I'm saying the same thing when I, and I discuss it with people over legalizing marijuana as I do legalizing betting. So, I'm, and believe me, this this is Russ from the projects in Sheepshead Bay. You know, I'm, right. I'm no choir boy. <laughs> you, you, you know what I'm saying? Yes. I, didn't gr- I didn't grow up as one. But you're going to get young kids, and whether there's an 18 year old for example you got to be 18 to bet like when i go to my corner store in the morning to buy my five newspapers i'm, I'm still an old school guy i, 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 I read i, I read I, my newspapers i gotta read my newspapers too, absolutely so and i'm watching people buying lottery tickets that got no business buying lottery tickets when i say got no i'm talking about they're spending 50 100 and they don't look like they can rub nickels together so my concern and, and it's the same thing i say 
I don't know anybody, and I grew up in that era, I don't know anybody who didn't move to cocaine and heroin before they started with pot. So I say, it's all fine and dandy, but you got to be careful. And I just say right. the same thing about gambling. No, I don't know if that... No, you, it, I, I, I hear that. It's a fair point. I would just say those are the very same people, though, who are betting today with you know, illegally. Right. And so um, wouldn't you rather provide a legal environment um, for them? You can also be able to identify... Uh, you know, maybe people who um, and provide resources for people who have problems, who 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 need um, some sort of assistance and who need that kind of help. Um, and that's why we've been pushing for um, federally regulated uh, legalized. Uh, th- that was so, my my next question, because I, I think this state to state is not good. I, I, I think you need a federal regulation where everything is uniform. Well, I think, I think certainly there that would be preferred, but certainly it doesn't look like, I mean, certain states are already going and are, are yeah. going fast. So I think there has to be some model legislation, some things that uh, are consistent. Um, the protection of the consumer, for example, has to be critical. The, the, the integrity of the data for example, um, has to be part of that. So, um, you know, there's a, a, a bunch of things that we've been out there talking to different states and, and, and legislators about uh, things that are just really important if we're, if they're going to do this right. The integrity fee, mm-hmm. that's called. Like, what's it cost you, uh, you know, the, the league, to be involved in gambling? Seven and a half billion dollars. We we put together the product oh, okay. that that so, people w- bet that's on. That's what your league absolutely okay. right. Okay. So so Fair enough. so when we when we put together these games and we operate this league, I mean we're creating the 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 very product that people are betting on and the intellectual property and um and and again you know we're going to have to invest significantly in um, monitoring activity in enforcement and um and and ensuring the integrity of our game because to your point. The, the biggest thing about this for us is making sure that there can be no question about the integrity of our games, that our games are being played um, on, on the straight up, and, and so we have to invest money to make sure that that is happening. Yeah, but believe me, I'm not against you. What I'm, saying, I, I, what I'm right, talking concept, about is for yes. the protection because, believe me, there will be criticism, not just to the NBA. I can see late in the game, all of a sudden, kids who didn't give a rat's patootie about like a point spread, wait a minute. I, right. I, I mean, you know, no, that's a free throw. You exactly. know, it's it's going to happen. You know, it will. and you'd be, we'd all be naive if we didn't think it right. would happen. And, and again, you know, I like we 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 do you said this earlier we kind of tend to think about just the united states of america it's happening in other parts yeah, where it, no. you know legalized betting has has been a mainstay in united kingdom and the in the country hasn't fallen apart as a result of people being able to bet on soccer in in that country and other parts of the world now and by the way it's 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 legal in certain states in the united states yeah, right. too you could bet you could bet legally in in las vegas no, so, that's right, for sure right. nba 2k yes Full disclosure, I know nothing about it. Zero. I haven't been involved in it. I was never. A vi- I wasn't even a big pinball kid growing up. So I'm I'm dating myself. But then I start to read, and I'm saying, "Wow!" And it, this was released th- since this year. No, but 1999. Yeah. Oh, the game. The, the, oh, the, the game, game itself. Oh, but yeah. Now you have a league 
explain to me how this league works yes. and how you, when I say you, the NBA makes money on this. Oh, absolutely. So, um, you know, the, the NBA 2K game, as you did your research on, is incredibly popular. It's, it's actually outpaced Madden. <laughs> now, it's, and it's the only, uh, only second behind the FIFA World Cup soccer game uh, globally. And so, uh, tremendous amount of popularity with respect to this game. Millions of fans playing this game. And as we started seeing the rise of esports, we said, um, how do we want to get involved in esports? You know, several of our owners came to us uh, many, many years ago, you know, call it the last five to 10 years, and said, um, we should look at this esports thing because. Madison Square Garden, the Staples Center, my arenas are selling out, and people are actually, 20,000 people are paying money to come in and watch these other people play video games. <laughs> now, they were playing Call of Duty and Overwatch and you these kind of uh, uh, first-person shooter games, and we decided that from a brand standpoint, we don't necessarily want to get into that line of business, but we said we've got our own very popular basketball game here. Why not create a league of video gamers around our 2K product. So 17 NBA teams signed up in the inaugural year, which just you know tipped off our season in, in May. We drafted 102 of the best NBA 2K players in the world. We did a worldwide search competition trap, 102. These players now are professional gamers. So those 17 NBA teams pay those players to compete in this league. Like, what do they make? They make about $30,000 a year. Okay. So, you know, you can, for, for those kids who whose mom, were sitting on the couch and their mom and dad was, go out and get a job, they got a job. They're, right. they're, they're one of the best gamers in the world. The, the number one pick um, was uh, from Dallas. Uh, he's from Ohio. They call him the LeBron James of of esports, his name is Dimes, and Dallas Dimes, Dimes, and South Dallas selected him as the number one pick. But what, what's unique about this game now is they have their own avatar, so it's five on five, right? And Dimes has his own avatar. He's not playing as an NBA player; it's Dimes, and he has his own uh, look and feel, and he's representing the Dallas. Uh, gaming team, and they're playing against five other players. And so it's taken off. I mean, we're, our games are broadcast on Twitch, which is Twitch is the major platform for all esports gamers. Um, and it's just been incredible so far. What kind of money, you know? What... So we're selling sponsorships. Many of our teams have um, uh, have actually sold jersey sponsorships um, on the avatars that are playing in the game, and they're doing. And so we we have league sponsors. Again, we have the partnership with Twitch and and so a and dollar figure. What what what's the kind I, of? I don't I don't want to put a dollar figure. Okay. I mean, it's, it's a very first year uh, of the league right now, but um, it's it's doing very well. I'll tell you that. My goodness, I, I mean, I had no idea. I mean, none. <laughs> Whatsoever. And then I just read, you know, today it's going to be unveiled September 7th. LeBron James is on the cover of the NBA 2K19. That's right. That's right. And, and he's talking. And I don't think LeBron is just saying it. He's saying he's been playing it. All these players play Rust. They they all play the game. They love it. It's um it's authentic to them. And I think that's why this 2K League has really, really taken off because the NBA players love it, they play it, and our fans love it and play it. Well, okay, I, I'd be one final question for you, and I'd be remiss if, if I didn't ask you this. Mm-hmm. Obviously, your resume is as stellar as stellar can be. I mean, seriously, Brooklyn Tech, Cornell, Harvard Business, MLB Corporate, amazing success here. Thank you. You're not looking over anybody's shoulder. 
But do you feel pressure because there is pressure in society today? Afri- African American mm-hmm. could be the first commissioner of an you know a professional league in this country. Is that pressure for you? Is it something that you're constantly reminded about? And you know, like you say, like I say, you don't want to be placed in a position. I'm not looking over my boss's shoulder, right? But you know, this is what, this comes with the territory. Yeah, no, no. I, there's, I'm, I'm very happy with my job. I, I uh, recognize um, that even in this position, I am breaking uh, ground to some extent, um, and so I'm cognizant of that, and I'm proud of that. And um, but. I'm focused on my job. I've got a pretty big job now. I'm happy with it. I've been doing it for four years. Um, Adam is doing an incredible job. I love working for him. Um, I think that the, the the public has seen what an incredible individual, what an incredible leader he is. Um, and I'm just blessed and, and happy to be uh, in an organization that's run by him. Well, you, you certainly, though, like I said, and I, I, I guess I shouldn't just say African American, Vietnamese yeah. as well. So, so you kill two birds with That's one right. stone. Well, exactly. right, right now, I know the business end of the NBA is in good hands with you, and um, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of success to come and down the road. And uh, I can't thank you enough, Mark, for being here. Russ, well, thank you for having me. No, th- great this, to see. You. This has been great. And right now, folks, that is a wrap up. I want to thank all of you for getting a load of this, and now I like to get a load of you. So uh, let me know uh, your thoughts on today or any other uh, podcast of Get a Load of This you listen to. You can get in touch with me at Russ Salzberg or on Facebook. My thanks to producer Mike Caragliano, better known as Crash, to uh, 77 WABC program director Craig Schwab, the OG Podcast Network, and as always, you the fans, because without you people listening, I'd have nobody here to be talking to. So until next time, it is yours truly, Russ Salzberg, saying... Bye-bye, so long, and farewell. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.